I'm Anushka Dukas and I've been designing jewellery for 30 years and collecting charms for as long as I can remember. In this new podcast, I'll be asking a series of extraordinary women to tell me their life story in seven charms. What really worries me about the place we're in now is it's stopping people having big lives in the sense of travel, adventure, getting away from their parents and all those things. And I pray that we return to a normality where everybody can feel they can do anything because that is definitely what my parents made me feel I could do. For me, there are so few things that can stand the test of time and evoke a memory like a tiny detailed charm. A very special 18 karat gold biography. My guest this week is a journalist, editor, broadcaster and novelist. She was born into a bunch of talented, high-achieving, independent from the word go siblings. She is extraordinarily patient about being referred to as the sister of one of them. A member of the most well-known political family of our time, I'm delighted to welcome Rachel Johnson to my life in Seven Charms. Thank you, Anushka. That was very generous and extremely delicately phrased. (laughs) (laughs) Because often I'm triggered um, if I'm introduced as, and of course, a sister of the Prime Minister or whatever, because it's, you know, it is inevitable, but you like to be so introduced by your own name first and so that was perfect Uh, well I'm glad anyway let's talk about your first charm you when you described it to me you said uh, it's got to be a black dog with a red sparkly collar now I haven't drawn it as you can see as a black dog with a red sparkly collar because dogs when you get them to be very very tiny really don't look very much like dogs and I didn't think I'd get a Labrador perfectly in a charm so I've drawn a um a lovely, as I think the paws on dogs are one of their most uh, adorable features. <laughs> so I've drawn it as a paw with black diamond pavé setting in yellow gold. And on the back it's written Coco because I think that was your your dog as a child. Coco was our family pet. And when the children were small, we got Coco. And I think, as happens with all pets, all our love and all our conversation went through the Coco Channel. And when she died, um, it was sort of a couple of days before Christmas a few years ago, and she died under the Christmas tree, just as another family were arriving to spend Christmas with us, with their dog. And they arrived, and it was literally a sea of tears for about a week. And she just does live on in, in my heart, which is why I wanted to have a charm of her. And she's buried on our farm in Somerset, actually really close to our our house on Exmoor. Actually, I had uh, Labradors as a, as a child, so I know exactly what that feels like. But dogs are incredibly loyal and somehow they are the glue, aren't they, in a, in a family? Well, there's also that thing, if you want a friend in politics, a friend in Washington, get a dog. You know, <laughs> that was what one president was told because, you know, politics is such a nasty business and if you want a true friend you have to get an animal. And we've now got a new dog, Ziggy. I was hoping to meet Ziggy. Actually. You may meet Ziggy, but <laughs> she, li- she has lived so far a very short and uncharmed life because we got her at the beginning of lockdown, just before we went into lockdown in March, 
in July, she ran under the wheels of my car, which is how I describe me actually running her over when I came up our drive. Yeah, I think I'd describe it like that too. <laughs> and then, <laughs> to my howling adult children. And then in July, she ate a peach stone oh, when I was God. having my five days holiday of the year in Greece. And she had to have her stomach cut open. And then last week, she ate a corn husk and had to have her stomach cut open again. So... I I just don't know what to say about Ziggy. I'm completely in love with her. But she seems to be on a suicide mission. Yes, and so we've started calling her Pussycat because she's already lost three of her nine lives. Oh, my God. But that's why, that's why she's not here. She's gone out for a very a socially distanced uh, walk on a lead with strict instructions that she cannot eat anything off the ground. Oh, poor, poor Ziggy. Hello? Um, oh, is that the doggy back? Oh, yeah. Hello? Oh, hi, love. Yeah, you can let oh, her in. Yeah, let's meet the doggy. I know, Zig. No, no, she doesn't look like she's had What did she eat along the route, Bob? Uh, almost everything. Oh, Hello, my darling. <laughs> Sit, Ziggy. She is absolutely adorable. So, so Rachel, let's... Um, your second charm. Um, I'm fascinated by the second charm. So it's a grizzly brown bear. Very specifically, you've, you've said it's a grizzly brown bear. Just before you tell us why you why you've chosen that, I see this bear as three dimensional, um, probably made in yellow gold, all brown diamonds with moving legs. So you can put him in, you can sit him up, or you can be on all fours. Just really cuddly and kind of probably not what bears are. But tell us why you have chosen a bear. I love how you've um, done the bear because. He's both a grizzly bear that you would see in Yellowstone, which is my mental image of the, the brown bear. And he's also a sort of teddy. You can sit him in a teddy shape. So he's also a rather comforting creature. Yeah. And when we were very little, my mother made up stories, bedtime stories, as well as reading to us a lot. And they were called the bear family. And my older brother was, I think, big bear. And I was little bear and then my little brother Leo was baby bear and then my even younger brother Joe was baby baby bear mm. so she would tell us these stories and she sort of anthropomorphized the bears well, so we knew what she was really doing was telling us stories about what we had done so of course we absolutely howled with laughter we'd sort of fall out of our bunks crying with laughter as she said about baby baby bear dropping his yogurt it wasn't like Goldilocks and the Three Bears at all, but very much more kind of slightly naughty bunch of little bear, baby bear cubs. I love that. Um, so that's why, and I, very, very happy memory um, of her, you, you know, using her humour, her creativity. And she her, was a painter, wasn't she? She is a painter. She is a painter. She is she's a painter. Still, she's still painting. Yeah, she is. I mean, although she's got a Parkinson's. And um, she's 78. You know, what she re all she really wants to do all day is paint. Still. She's one of these naturally creative yes. people. Well, we're surrounded by her painting. Mm. Yes, uh, that's, a, that's a painting of my father done by my mother. And behind me is a, a picture she painted while in New York um, of Avenue of the Americas. Well, she's immensely talented. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she really is. I mean, being the only girl... Of, of the first four. Of the first, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
did that how how was that for you did you did you have a special bond with your mother because I'm an only child and I was very close to my mother but and I know when I had children because I had that very special bond with my mother I was desperate to have a girl and so it's quite a long-winded question but I wanted yeah to know no I think that's that. the same I was desperate to have a girl as well and I always felt very close to my mother I still feel very close to my mother. You think more so than the boys? I, I don't know. Um, but yes, I did feel that we had that. Um, you know, you do have a special bond with, a, with your mother if you're female because there are things that they will tell you about, about being a girl yeah. that doesn't apply to their three sons. And you know what they are. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I absolutely know what they are. Um, but also as a painter... Um, I, I mean, I have visions of her being much quieter than perhaps your father and much more in her own place. Is that, is that, would that be right? Or? Um, she is much quieter now because Parkinson's has sort of robbed her of her speech so much. Yeah. But in her, you know, pomp, she was, you know, the life and soul. They were both life and soul. They are. My father's very much life and soul type person. And she was too. You know, they were always the funnest people in the room. And, you know, incredibly high in high demand as guests and, you know, out every night. And, you know, just, you know, big ravers, basically. Big. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Do you think that's uh, something you've all inherited? Uh, yeah, when we get onto my champagne bottle or <laughs> yes, white wine does. bottle, yes. <laughs> um, but I guess it's a bit of a cliche question, but how... How has your upbringing, do you think, influenced the way you've brought up your children? Because you've got three, haven't you? I think that my parents were absolutely brilliant in um, not over-parenting. Right. And I know we live in a different world. I mean, when I had children, parenting had become a sort of profession. And women said, you know, I'm staying home to do kids, as if that was their job. And But when I grew up, you people just had children and then get, got on with their own lives. In your life, I think quite a lot of people, it was the other way around. They were, don't you think? I think quite a lot of people, when in our generation, their parents stayed at home to look after them. And now they're talking about going out and getting jobs and things. I think, don't you think it's quite... No, weirdly, when I had small children, motherhood became a sort of career. Right. And, you know, you got all this sort of crafty, uh, make your own... Cr- Christmas decorations and mm. cupcake type. Right. Um, you know, it became a kind of um, who was creating the more perfect childhood for your child. Notting Hill. And, and that's what I wrote about in Notting Hill, exactly. <laughs> but when I was growing up, it was assumed that children kind of did a lot of bringing themselves up and schools were very important. Yeah. But parents put their own lives first because you know you only have one life why would you sack everything off to do to get on down on your hands and knees and make play-doh well uh, absolutely yeah and it's so have you taken that view I took that view yeah I fa- also I just wasn't configured for it I despite mean despite the fact that you said well you wanted to be a wife and mother didn't you that well I know but don't think well I did say that <laughs> yeah. because that was what I didn't know that other alternatives options existed. were available Interesting, yeah. And when I was next asked the question, you know, when I was seven, what, what do you want to be? I said, I want to be a photojournalist because I'd, I'd read Tintin. Yeah. And it seemed 
a much cooler way of spending your time. Yeah, completely. And presumably, once your brother said he wanted to be world king, you had to come up with something. Yeah, I had to come up with something more. pretty yeah, damn yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Um, do you think be, the birth order is important in in the way that you've lived your life, and also for your own children? Has that? Do you think that's because I've got four, and I kind of Have look you? at third child and think, oh, um, you've got four children. Yeah. I wanted five. Oh, my God. I think three is a really difficult number. But although each one of my children has their own unique place, growing up, I always felt, you know, I was the only girl. But I don't think I felt I was only a girl. You you, you, you say you were quite a top. I mean, you presumably you were quite a tomboy with all those I was a boys massive on. tomboy. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm always amazed when I see a photograph of myself as a child in a dress because, I mean, I used to kick up such a tantrum. I used to have actual physical fights. My mother would have to wrestle me into this Laura Ashley high neck. With those frilly collars. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> these things that are sort of pinched yeah. tight sleeved in the remember. 70s. She yeah. made the most wonderful, very fashionable nerd. Yeah, yeah, it's all coming back now. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I would just scream and scream and scream like Violet Elizabeth Bott, and and only put it, wear it for a photograph, and then take it off and put on a pair of um, bell-bottom cords. Well, yeah, because you uh, at school, I mean, you were one of two girls at school, weren't you? I was, uh, yeah. yeah. And in the rugby team, and in the mm-hmm. various other. <laughs> I played cricket. I played in cricket and rugby teams. Well, I guess you absolutely had to do that. Yeah. But I know in your book, um, there there is a quote that um, your eldest brother, Boris, says that as the antelope wakes up every morning and knows he must outrun the lion, so I wake up every day and know I must somehow scamper to keep oh. ahead of Rachel. <laughs> I think he that happened. I mean, he must have been teleporting himself back to when he was about seven because he outpaces me, you know, he outpunches me now totally on all counts. Well, I suspect that's not true. I, um, so I that's think just I can probably, the only thing I can probably do better is cook. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> and actually play tennis. And I think those are two pretty, pretty big things they are to pretty be winning big in. Things. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about tennis. Yeah. Um, your next charm is a tennis racket. Now again, we've got to make it absolutely perfect. I, I want to make it in yellow gold and the, and then white strings so that you can you know you can see through them. Um, I'd put because it depends what racket you have, but I'd just put black diamonds around the head. Um, but you, they're probably a specific t- as a pro that you've probably uh, got a specific racket. I think that's a perfect tennis racket. Is that a tennis ball as and well? And it's a tennis ball. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah. I mean, tennis is my passion. So has it always been your passion? Pretty much for the last 10 years or so. Oh, it's 10 years. It's not a childhood thing? No, not so much. We used to play ping pong. We never never had a tennis court. I think I started playing tennis with my husband when we were courting. Get it? Yeah, got it. (laughs) And um, thank you. (laughs) Then I've always carried it on and my children play and... So do you play as a family together now? We can do, yeah. yeah, Although it's quite difficult with five. Um... I play with my husband. But is that how, is that your kind of wind down? So, you know, if you've had a stressful, stressful time. a stressful time, year for everybody. Yes, but yeah. is that your way of kind of winding down or trying to forget? Um, it's very good because you have to focus on the present. So you can't worry about the future or the past and you have to live in the moment. And as soon as you don't, you, you send it into the net. Yeah. And... 
you know, then you've got your partner who you have to, you know, play up and play the game for him. And is, do you like playing doubles? I love playing doubles and I enjoy singles too, but it is a lot more exercise. I was going to say, you must be yeah, fit, fit, fit for singles. I'm, I'm nursing my elbow now because I played this morning and um, it, they've closed the indoor court, so we had to play outdoors and the court was wet and the balls got wet. And so I just want us all to hurry up and open up the whole world again and just God. let's just get on with it. Crack on. Yeah, well, perhaps you could have a word. I know. I, who could <laughs> I have a word with? <laughs> Just if you could Do you have know a word, anyone I could have a word with? But I think you might, and I would be great if you could help. Your next charm uh, is a Land Rover Defender. So I was absolutely fascinated by this, but also excited about this one because I think I'm fixated with Gee, making things make it. totally miniature, as perfect as it can be. So this Land Rover. Well, we've always we had can... Land Rovers on on the farm, and they're they're a sort of totemic. Um, Johnson family vehicle right. and um, my father and my grandfather uh, used them as farm you know my grandfather was a sheep farmer hill farmer so he'd you know, throw a ewe in labour in the back of the Land Rover and then power on up a vertical cleave and my father uses them to, to go and get wood and kind of basically our childhood weeks were spent on the farm in in the rain kind of hurling hurling huge logs into the back of the land rover in sullenly (laughs) wishing that we were just in our rooms underneath the covers reading Ina Blyton so this is really about your your childhood and and maybe your dad it's all about absolutely and my grandfather and the farm they're just kind of indissoluble in my mind together yeah, your memories of childhood and where were you Exmoor. Exmoor. Well, that's where the family farm is yeah. still and where my father lives and I have a house. And have you always, have you always gone back there? Yes. And as uh, your own family now, that's your kind of, that's where you yes, spend and your holidays. Exactly. And, and yeah. my son is there now and I'm going there on Monday and that's it's lovely. And actually place. it helps one get through lockdown because it's not the same. In the, if you're in London, you really feel the fact that life has stopped and you have to be in your bubble if you want to go to yeah. a restaurant and all of that. And when you're in, out of London and out of, in the, deep in the countryside, it's, it's easier to pretend that nothing has changed. But when everything has changed and life's really, really difficult for everybody. Yeah, complete, no, I completely see that. But I have kind of visions of you, I don't know what you did as children, but I have visions of you taking the Land Rover without your father or your grandfather. Is that all <laughs> And on? racing off in it. And racing off in it as a kind of rabble Well, together. actually, you say that. Once my, because the, the Land Rover, before we had this one, was really hard to start, they used to leave it on a hill above the farmhouse. And once... <laughs> A boy who was staying did get in the driver's seat, put it into neutral, and it just careered down the hill and into what we call the duck pond. No Wait, one in it. Was the boy in it? I think the no. I think the boy <laughs> jumped it? out of it. So then it was found, kind of nose first <laughs> glug, in the duck, and then we had to get the local farmer to drag you out. But then nobody admitted to it. I think the Land Rover was found in the ditch, and it was like, nope, no, it wasn't me, not me, Gov. <laughs> Okay, moving on to uh, charm number five, which is your chimpanzee. 
he's got to be quite a fun chimpanzee. I see him hanging from a, you know, holding onto a branch, swinging, um, and his legs will be moving and wobbly. And I just put you. You can see from what I've done. I put a banana just in his. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. That's very like Zephyr the monkey and Baba. What you've done. Yes, it is like that. You're gorgeous. Right. Yeah, it is like that. But he's going to be kind of brown diamonds, I think, with a yellow gold. Um, tummy with his little tummy button and um, I just think he should be really cute and really smiley yeah he's so jolly I mean really lovely so tell me about why why have you chosen this chimpanzee the chimpanzee uh, again I mean it's it's it represents in a way both my parents my father was is um, an ambassador for the gorilla organization and as an environmentalist and it's been passionately involved and in animal conservation and welfare his whole life as yeah. an environmentalist. I had no idea about that. Well, that's true. Yeah. And he's, he's you know, a real rock star when it comes to the environment. You know, he's won the RSPCA Award. He's won the Greenpeace Award. He's done a huge amount. And he wrote the, you know, animal, the Habitats Directive for the European Union. And... He's written books on population and the environment. I mean, did he spend a lot of time with monkeys somewhere? <laughs> he goes off. I mean, his idea of a good time is to go off into the Congo on a sort of camping trip and, and wait to see, you know, gorillas in the mist, basically. But maybe that's what he was and, hoping for. You know, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. <laughs> did he see a few of those Yeah, monkeys? I'm sure. Did you all go? Um, did you go on those He used to take adventures? us on safaris in, in Africa, which were... Always wonderful times, you know, camping and losing losing all the passports off the top of the Land Rover and <laughs> going to Olderby Gorge and, you know, seeing the wildebeest and rivers in spate and lions and at dawn. I mean, it was amazing because he was, yeah. he, you know, he, he imbued in us um, uh, an um, admiration and for all of the natural world in a way almost greater than for you know humanity i mean he was he was very clear that you know man man's inhumanity to the natural world is even greater than its inhumanity to man and you know what we're doing to the planet is you know an irreparable damage yeah so yeah. that sounds a bit gloomy but you know but it's right isn't it yes i mean, I mean he was also completely ahead of the curve on climate change and the ozone there and all those things so, you know, he's been, that's been a hugely formative influence in oh. our lives. You know, my brother Leo isn't, you know, involved in sustainability. And, you know, my brother Boris Alexander is also very involved in trying to do anything he can as prime minister to protect the natural world. Sorry, that got a bit serious, but... And also, That's, you know... No, I think it's important. Yeah. It's really and also important. they're very close. It, it also, it's a reminder that, you know, we are animals. We're very, very close to chimpanzees. And we have this kind of absolute exceptionalism as if we are in charge of everything and it's all ours. But it's not. We have to share the, the, the world. And species loss is just devastating. But it will change the face of the earth, won't it? Yeah, when you lose one species like the bee. You yeah. lose everything. Absolutely. And when yet we go our merry on our merry way. And you said at the beginning that it was both your mother and your father. Well, I always give my mother monkey presents. So, so her flat is sort of got all these monkeys hanging off um, cheese plants and 
you know, <laughs> toy toy monkeys and everything. Um, but I, I wondered when you, you, you said about it reminds you of your mother as well, whether there was a bit of this kind of feeling of juggling for her, you know, from being a mummy, being a painter. How, did she, did she manage, how did she manage with all of that? Um, it was hard. I think she found it really hard because she had four children by the age of 30. And I yeah, think, she was an incredibly young mother, yeah. wasn't she? And I think her creative drive is really, really strong. And then, you know, motherhood is so labour and, and time intensive, yeah. emotional labour as well. That I think it's just, you know, it was very, very difficult for her to, awful phrase, self-realise. But we always knew that when she was in her studio, that was, you couldn't interrupt. So oh, she, so you weren't allowed to go there yeah, at all? you weren't. You weren't allowed in. Um, I think I read somewhere that, that she said that she thought it was a terrible mistake to educate girls. <laughs> but she I wants, she, What she meant was, and I wrote this in my book, Rake's Progress, she didn't mean it literally that that women should be illiterate. What she meant was that biology will always get in the way of ambition, putting it very simply. You may want to run a FTSE 100 company, but if you have four children, unless you've got an enormous amount of backup and a house husband you're going to be pulled in lots of different directions and feel, you know, it's the having it all myth. Yeah. Ironically, there's bits about lockdown that is has kind of enabled that to be easier in one way, although, you know, you still got to struggle with it. But I don't think, I think it's kind well, of... I don't agree. I mean, I think lockdown's been really hard for women. Oh, I'm not disputing it's yeah. been hard for women. No, because it's because of the homeschooling and the housework. Yeah. Every survey has shown it's three quarters taken care of by women. So yeah. it's has basically um, thrust women back into about the 50s, where we were in the 50s in terms of domestic responsibility. I um this year I have um started an initiative called the Brilliant Breakfast which is for the Prince's Trust. Oh good. And Tell um, me about and that. the well the reason I've done that is because it appears that one in eight uh young people are going to be out of work by the end of this year. 80% of those will be women. And that's because Why have you got to that? Well that that, that, that I mean, that's the research it's the PwC but why? research What's that? It's because of the hospitality sector. Yeah. It's because hospitality, retail, beauty it's all of those things which is utterly terrible. well maybe you can come on my lbc show and talk about that how lovely i'd love to okay moving on to uh, charm number six uh, a bottle of wine uh-huh. <laughs> it's never uh, too early it's never too early i mean i um i see this bottle of wine you you, you said it's got to be white wine and it's got to have sloping shoulders and greens so i'm imagining it's a bottle of chardonnay <laughs> it, it is, is. <laughs> it's going to be the bottle of most delicious crisp white burgundy i'd like i'd like to carve it in green olive quartz and give it a 18 karat gold label with whatever your favorite wine is and um with a with a proper cork all in yellow gold 
So it'll be absolutely um, a perfect bottle, uh, ready to be drunk. But um, so why have you chosen? <laughs> why have you chosen Mrs. Party Girl? I'm assuming Mrs. Lush. <laughs> well, I, it symbolises good times, parties which I love and I miss, and and just fun and jokes and laughter and flirting and dancing. Because you don't dance unless you've had a few jars. No, got no, a few no, jars, Dania. Yeah, certainly hasn't and been any holidays dancing. and just carefree. Yeah, and yeah. having a glass of cooling white wine before lunch on a you know Tuscan hillside. I mean, I love it. So it's a white wine, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So do I? Do I need to sell it any more than no, that? No, no, you do absolutely <laughs> don't need to sell it. But yeah, God, can you remember what a party was like? I haven't been to a party for so bloody long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll be nice to it'll be nice to do that. But are you the life and soul of the party? Well, that's not for me to say, but I do love a party. Well, I, the reason I'm asking that because I think. I think it's really, somebody asked me this the other day and I'm interested whether you would describe yourself as extrovert or introvert. Very extrovert. Would you, and I uh, think always. I'm pretty extrovert. I, could, I mean, I don't mind talking to anybody about anything. Okay, so your last charm is a radio microphone. I'm really excited about making this one because I think I can absolutely make a perfect miniature microphone in white gold and I think it's got to swivel properly the way it does uh, on, on an arm. LBC engraved uh, on it in honour of your own radio show. And I th- it'll be, it's going to be gorgeous. I love it. I love it. I, I mean, you can't, I don't want them to hear this, but I would pay to do my show. <laughs> it's such fun talking to people. So just for those people that haven't listened to the show. Yes, it's seven you... to nine on Sunday evenings. Right. And... It's just, you, it, you feel incredibly privileged. It's like you're talking to the nation. You just think people ring in and they tell you things or they tell you you're wrong or they tell you you're right or they tell you stuff that's going on or they tell you about their children at university who are locked in their lodgings and or they tell you about how their father died in a care home. And it's just, for me, utterly gripping. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah. And I feel incredibly privilege to be in that position of being able to sort of mediate this conversation but uh, you know is a learning curve I mean if you join the roster at LBC you're you're joining you're sitting alongside broadcasters or before and after broadcasters who've who've been doing it for for 10 years and they are the, the at the top of their game and they're the best in the business so you know it's each each time I sit in front of a live mic I'm like <gasps> I'm going to get it wrong. And it also, if you fluff, it's live radio. So I fluffed the top of my show a week before last. And I was like, oh, no, but you've just got to power on through. And just, you know, that the in fact, audiences kind of enjoy it when things drop off air and fluff. But, yeah. it, but ultimately, it, it is. I mean, I was interested in this charm because this seemed to me that this was the only charm that really speaks about you and your achievements because all the other charms are very much about family memory um and I think it's important to me because it's I'm very I am proud that I've done a sort of career shift at my age and during lockdown yeah and to do something so enjoyable and also sort of I hate to say it, but on trend, I mean, as everybody listens to podcasts and radio, 
and you know we've seen life move online radio is something that can actually thrive at the moment because you don't have to have a lot of people in a room it's very intimate and it's very current so I feel as I keep saying this really privileged to have that work but I mean privileged the work but also I mean because you've said I'm secretly a medium serious person but you said I long to be taken seriously um But why do you think you're not taken seriously? I don't know. Maybe I just assume as a woman that I will never be taken seriously. One does long to be taken seriously. It's extraordinary, I know. I mean, I think it's partly... serious things. You've been an MEP. No, I haven't been an MEP. I tried tried, Sorry, Uh, yes. (laughs) And failed utterly. Well, maybe, but it's a serious thing and it requires kind of, you know, quite a lot of guts, I'd say. Huge determination. Um, and and yeah, real, real putting yourself out there. Yeah, you do put yourself out there. But I realised, look, it was an interesting experiment because it proved to me that I'm the opposite of a politician because it seemed to me that politics was about saying the same things over and over again and things you don't necessarily believe in. Therefore, I couldn't do that. And that was exposed almost immediately. And... Yeah. As a result, I didn't become an MEP. The party failed to win any seats and we left the European Union as the British people had voted for in 2016. We'll move on. But um, we're very close here to um, Grenfell Tower. Yes. And I know you've, you've spoken quite a lot about Grenfell Tower. Well, I was here during Grenfell Tower. We're about 300 yards from it. Yeah. And my... My son Oliver had a really good... His best friend lived in Grenfell Tower. So I've been to Grenfell Tower and had sort of play dates there. And it was a terrible time. And um, the it was... But it was also an extraordinary time, the way this community did pull together. I've never seen anything like it. And we live in... And Kensington and Chelsea's, you know, got the most uneven wealth distribution of anywhere in London in London Mm. and so you know all those people in Grenfell Tower those poor people who've been through the most unutterable trauma um you know were living cheek by jowl with some of the most privileged people in the country and I thought it was it therefore it was a story of our time wasn't it about the gap between rich and poor of um, privilege, educational privilege. Totally. Are you continuing to privilege. follow the uh, inquiry? I have, I have seen a bit of it, and mm. they were televising it, and they're not anymore. The I've worked. I mean, I know very well a lot of the councillors and who've tried and worked to night and day to rehouse. Everyone is now rehoused, but they are rehoused. They now, are rehoused, but you know, it time. has been a massive scar, and just seeing Grenfell when you go out of your front door you go to the top of my yeah. road and you can see it and it's it's got this green shroud around it which says Grenfell forever in our hearts and you see it from the top of my road you see it from the Westway, and it's on un- it was an unforgettable yeah. it's, tragedy yeah it's a landmark that you every yeah. time you go past yeah. it it's absolutely shocking um just um going back to to being taken more seriously. So LBC, that's a very serious thing. Are there other things that you 
still want to do because you've done lots god you've done lots of things i wish i'd done as many things as you have i remember making a kind of <laughs> list of wish list of things when i was in my 30s what did i want to do what were my ambitions and i remember what they were and something they were like write a write a novel have another baby i think i'd had three and present a radio show and i think i said present woman's hour but that's taken by the brilliant emma barnett so i never had another baby but i did do the other things <laughs> So we've been through all of your charms. And as you know, I'd like to make you one. So I wondered, since we've been chatting, whether you've had a chance to think about which one. It's just impossible because they are all so precious and so meaningful. I mean, I hate that word, but they are. They're all really meaningful to me. And it's, I'll feel that I'm rejecting the others if I choose one. Um, I think that... Because it's about the future and about my own professional career as opposed to family, I think I'm going to go for the mic. I'm I'm so delighted. Are you pleased? I'm so delighted. A, I think it'll make an absolutely divine charm. But B, it, it is the one charm that absolutely represents what, what, it's all about you. It's a sort of investment in myself yes. in a weird way and yeah. in the future. Yeah, I really... Uh... Um, it, I'm certainly not ruling out commissioning the monkey and the Land Rover <laughs> as well, but we'll have to do the separate negotiation. We'll discuss that later. <laughs> OK, Rachel, I've got one more question. So in 100 years' time, when your grandchildren or great-grandchildren find this bracelet in a drawer somewhere, what do you want them to think about you? How do you want them to kind of think of, this is Rachel, my great-grandmother I'd like them to think that I made the most of life and I had I took it I seized it by the balls basically if I'm allowed to say that because what really worries me about the place we're in now is it's stopping people having big lives in the sense of travel adventure and getting away getting away from their parents and all those things and I pray that we return to a normality where everybody can feel they can do anything because that is definitely what my parents made me feel I could do. They gave me the confidence the, to assume that I could write a book, I could have children, I could travel, I could do all these things just as good as any man or boy. And, you know, you, you cannot put a price on that. So that is, if I had any message, it's that you can do anything. And my little radio mic proves it. Thank you so much for listening to My Life in Seven Charms with me, Anushka Dukas. Please do like, review and subscribe to hear our latest episodes. Thank you to Fairly Media for our audio production. <laughs>